Welcome to the Open Air Series Podcasts, the podcast for people already active on open science or people who want to know more about open science, open air, and EOSC. You are all invited. Researchers, repository managers, scholarly works content providers, librarians, policymakers, research funders, entrepreneurs, and citizens. In our podcasts, we introduce the open air portfolio services, how they work, and how they assist you in solving your problems. We complete our approach by presenting how open air enables you to benefit from the EOSC ecosystem and open science. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of Open On Air podcast series. I'm Giulia Malaguarnera, the Outreach and Engagement Officer of Open Air, and today we will focus on some of the infrastructures supporting open access, the repositories. In the previous episode, I interviewed experts to demystify what open access actually means, but uh, we did not touch upon uh, the green open access publishing route, also known as self-archiving route, that refers to the possibility of uh, depositing research in an institutional or discipline-specific repository. Is it possible to make more accessible the research that has been already published? Sure. How? Uh, you should make sure to follow the right retention strategy uh, from the coalition S. And you can ask before publishing any manuscript to retain the author's intellectual properties and unlock your research output. In this episode, Andreas Cerignac from the University of Bielfield, Pedro Principe from the University of Migno and Kathleen Schirar from Coar will join us. Now, I would like to give the floor to you. Kathleen, Pedro, can you introduce yourself? Well, thanks, Julia, first of all, for inviting me to be here. It's a pleasure. Um, I'm Kathleen Shearer, and I'm the executive director of CORE, which is the Confederation of Open Access Repositories. Um, CORE is an international association. Um, it actually grew out of a European project. We were launched in 2009, and we grew out of the driver project, which was connecting repositories in Europe. Um, and of course, at the time, the, the participants in that project realized that, um, you know, research is actually global, it's international, it's not just, it doesn't have any geographical boundaries. So we need to not only co connect repositories in Europe, but we need a mechanism to connect repositories around the world. And so they founded and launched CORE, and I've been the um, executive director since 2013. So I'm Pedro Prinsp, uh, I'm head of division in the libraries of the University of Minho. University of Minho is part of uh, Open Air um, and uh, I'm uh, in Open Air MK, I'm uh, the chair of the Services uh, and Technology Standing Committee that uh, try to contribute to the strategy of, of Open Air uh, for the area of the development of the services and the, the technologies that we use in our services. So the University of Minho is part uh, of OpenAir since uh, 2009 uh, and I'm part of, uh, of OpenAir also since 2010. I joined in, in June 2010 
Uh, so, I mean, this adventure since June 2010, um, and we have contributed to the different uh, uh, projects from OpenAir to OpenAir Plus, OpenAir Advanced, um, as the National Open Access Desk, as also South Region Coordinator, uh, but also as responsible for the support and training area uh, of OpenAir 2020 and OpenAir Advanced and now also in OpenAir Nexus. Can you tell us what are the repositories, Kathleen? Yes, sure. Repositories are repositories are services essentially that collect, uh, manage, preserve, and provide access to content. Um, so the repository landscape that in which I work are really research repositories that um, are responsible for managing and providing access to um, research outputs, most often articles, but also data, and now increasingly other types of research outputs such as code um, and what we would call gray literature uh, reports and, and so on. And um, these repositories are increasingly uh, what we call open repositories. So they're very much a part of um, implementation of open access and, and open science policies um, because they make the content that they've collected freely available to everyone so it can be reused and and um, maximize our, our investment in, in research. Of course, they're not open when um, they contain uh, sensitive data or uh, private data, but um, that's a special case. For the most part, the content in repositories is, is freely available to everyone. What's the link between the birth of repositories and the open science movement? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think uh, repositories very much arose, uh, or certainly the repository landscape that I work in very much arose out of the open access movement. And, um, you know, at the time we were just talking about the two roads towards open access. One would be to publish in an open access journal. And the other would be to publish in a subscription-based journal and put your article into an open access repository. So that, that's the historical origins of the, the open access repository movement. Uh, but since then, we've moved really from focusing only on open access, which is open access to articles, to open science which means providing access to a range of the variety of research outputs um, that are produced um, through, through scientific and, and scholarly endeavor. So um, they are very much critical infrastructure to support open science. Without repositories, um, it would be very difficult for researchers to be able to share the content that they produce with the rest of the world. So they are a critical infrastructure layer to support open science policies and the trend towards open science. What's the role of the institutions in this landscape? Um, well, again, I think a lot of repositories began as institutional repositories. So we have many, many universities, usually through their libraries that host and maintain um, open access repositories. So the institution, uh, the institutional role is critical in that sense because they, they own and, and host repositories. I think we're seeing um, a, a, a trend, a growing trend towards shared repository infrastructure or shared hosting of repositories so that institutions 
are saying now, well, not every single university needs to have a repository. We could um, work together, collaborate, and have one repository that um, all of our institutional members could uh, participate in. Or we could have a shared hosted repository platform where we all have our own institutional repositories, but using the same platform. So um, the institutional role is critical either through funding of that repository or through hosting and managing the repository locally. What are the current challenges of repositories, Kathleen? Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of challenges around repositories. I think one of the the current challenges is that um, they've fallen a little bit down in terms of level of priority at the institutional level. So the visibility may be um, they not may not be highly visible at um, uh, university administrative levels, and therefore um, sometimes they're under resourced and understaffed. So I think that's probably one of the major challenges. And I guess the other major challenge that we see is kind of that they can be siloed when they're at the individual institution. And what we really need is interoperability across. Um, these types of research infrastructures, including repositories. So breaking down those those institutional silos um, across the repository networks is very, very important. What does being interoperable mean for a repository? Yeah, I mean, at the moment, what we mean by interoperable or the way that repositories are interoperable is at the level of metadata. So each of those metadata fields Um, that describe the uh, full text content um, are um, the same in repositories across Europe, you know, or there's some level of alignment in those metadata fields. So everybody understands that uh, what the title means, what the, how the date is presented, um, Uh, what you know they have a tag for the different language what language is the resource or the full text and um, when those things are interoperable it means that the repository is assigning their metadata in a common way and presenting it in a common format across uh, repositories in Europe and and that way when you are trying to track the research outputs and you want to be able to look through an aggregation or an index or a discovery service, you can find the content you want, um, whether it's associated with an individual institution or whether you're searching according to an author or uh, language or so on. Now, moving on, Pedro, OpenAir offers a concrete infrastructure for repository. What's uh, OpenAir provide and who can use it? Thank you, Julia, and it's always a great pleasure to collaborate in the uh, episodes of, um, of, of, of the Open Air podcasts. So Open Air is uh, mainly uh, for um, uh, content provider managers, so repository managers, journal editors, uh, data archive uh, managers, people in charge of infrastructures that gather uh, resources uh, and they want to expose the content uh, to different uh, infrastructures like OpenAir um, and also create system managers, uh, so uh, systems that in organizations gather information about the outputs of the research organizations. Uh, 
So this is the main target of uh, provide. And uh, of course, we can we can say this theoretically, but provide born to uh, to support uh, the content provider managers that were already in open air contributing with content to open air. And in fact, we developed this service uh, focus on the users, focus on the needs of the content provider managers of open air. From the user perspective, OpenAI provides is a dashboard, but in reality, it actually is a bundle of services. Yes, it's true. It's a dashboard to serve uh, users, the managers of the data sources that we aggregate content. But in fact, is a way to access the different backend services uh, that we have in OpenAI to support uh, data sources. Uh, so we have. Um, two important components, the validator and the, and the register. The validator is critical, is where people can uh, access and validate their uh, data sources in the way they expose the content of the data sources against our guidelines, which is really useful and critical. So people can test the, the work they are doing in the in, in their in their site so uh, to expose the content from the data sources using our validate uh, receive feedback receive a list of uh, of errors if they have it increase and improve the way that they are exposing the content and when they are ready they can register so the validator is really useful and in fact we are introducing uh, new facilities in the validator because we have the validator to work to validate literature repositories, the guidelines about publications, but also for data archives, data repositories, and for CRIS systems. We have these three uh, uh, facets of the validator, but we are also um, making use of the validator to support fairness. So we have a tool to assess, uh, to do a kind of verification of the data source, not at the level of the object, but at the level of the content provider. So the validator uh, now have uh, other kinds of, of facilities, facilities, which is uh, interesting. And then the register, so people did the validation, they are ready, they can register and then update their um, OIPMH interfaces to contribute with content to open air. So validator and register, and then other other facilities that are also relevant related with the enrichments, the metadata enrichments, the users counts service, uh, and then a way also to, to the manager to monitor the aggregation process and to subscribe and to receive notifications uh, from this uh, from this service. These are the main components. Andreas, since you are also working on the validator, would you give us uh, uh, a little bit more information? Yes, the data source managers, repository managers, or Christmas managers can provide and register your uh, data source and provide and get some available features there. One is the validator, and the validator uh, has different parts. On the one hand, as you said, the validator uh, is for validating metadata records uh, from repositories, repositories like institutional and thematic repositories, uh, or literature repositories, as well as data repositories and CRIS systems. These 
repositories could come from registries like open door, the v3 data for data repository, and also from fair sharing, and last but not least from the DRIS, the directory of current research information systems. This is provided by Eurocris. All this information are comes together in provide and could be used for um, validation the validation process. But beyond validation, we have also a new feature for FAIR assessment, I would say for FAIR assistance, for assistance the repository managers in this way. And uh, in this FAIR assistance, we implement the RDA FAIR data principles, um, not all uh, overall, because we take a look in these FAIR systems uh, on the whole repository that is on all records that is exposed by this repository or CRIS system uh, and not dedicated to each record currently. So because this is a work in progress and um, this is a better version that we have uh, integrated in provider. Andreas, uh, would you give us some insight about FAIR in the validator? In the FAIR systems, we integrate the principles from the RDA, Research Data Alliance, Fair Data Majority Rule. So we have dedicated or identified dedicated elements from these principles and integrate these in our FAIR assessment, which is based on the validator. These will be extended in the future, <laughs> so we'll see what will happen. Coming back to Pedro, there are several benefits that an institution may get by joining OpenAir Provide. Yes, this is this is right, Julia. Uh, this is important. Okay, the validator in the in the register are the, the simple way to to test and to and to contribute with content to to OpenAir. But in fact, uh, we are trying to build some added value services. Um, uh, relying on the content of the open air content providers and trying to give them back some added value services. The most important are the results of the broker service. Uh, the broker uh, generates uh, a set of metadata events that we can uh, give back to the uh, content uh, providers, to the institutions, to the managers. So mainly we are talking about metadata enrichments. So, uh, as we do a set of um, processes uh, around metadata validation, metadata publications, deduplication, uh, we can give back some interesting information to the, to the managers. So, the metadata enrichments are really great. So, we have different kinds of metadata enrichments. We have uh, divided between more and, uh, and missing. So the more is something that they have already in their in their data source we can give them more and the missing is explicit so something that they don't have and they they must have in their data source to improve the metadata quality so for example links to pids not only dois but also other pids from publications but most important also uh, author IDs like our kids, something that usually the data sources don't store and they need to have it so we they can use open air 
for that. Uh, links to projects to improve the, the the metadata description in their in their side, um, and and sometimes uh, also enrichments of basic things like uh, abstracts, uh, publication dates, this kind of thing. So, uh, the, being part of OpenAir is contributing to a, a research graph to a, an infrastructure. Uh, is giving more visibility and impact to the data source content, but in fact is a benefit for them because they can benefit from this metadata enrichment. And then it's not only metadata enrichments, it's also the user's counts that is also in interesting. If people enable the user's count service, they will uh, access uh, a kind of hub of, of metrics where they can have access in a standardized way um, to the, the downloads and views of their data sources and they can see and check the impact of the resources that they have in their, in their resources. Several repositories are adopting the OpenAir guidelines, including many repositories exposed in EOSC portal. Our team is working on improving the data interoperability in collaboration with the service and content providers in EOSC, but also in the research community at large. We discuss in working group and in platforms like Research Data Alliance, EOSC Task Force and many other projects. So now I would like to know from Kathleen, uh, do you know more about the uptake of the open air guidelines outside of Europe? Yeah, I, very much um, the open air guidelines have been, I think, really embraced by uh, certainly in the European context, but also in a number of other countries, they are being used and adopted. Um, La Referencia, which is the Latin American network of repositories, has adopted the open air guidelines um, in Canada. They've also uh, they are also being adopted. Um, and they've been adapted in, in some other um, regional and national contexts, including Japan. So they've played a very important role in interoperability at the level of metadata for repositories, which is key to have this global network of repositories that are interoperable. Um, so I think the open air guidelines are excellent for, um, for that. And um, open air has done a good job of engaging with other regions to ensure that there's alignment across their guidelines and the other types of metadata schema that would be implemented in other regions. How are these repositories different and how uh, we can support institutions to benefit the most from these infrastructures? Yeah, one of the things we have to be very sensitive to at CORE is regional differences. Um, and national differences um, around um, repositories. So um, there may be distinct um, challenges in different areas related to the management of repositories or the repository networks may look very different because of um, the jurisdictional um, issues in each country or, or region. So we very much, um, we like to work very closely at CORE with our regional partners because they have a better understanding of the context and the needs and the challenges of, of, of each region. And um, that's uh, what we do in Europe is work very closely with open air because open air is really on the ground 
Um, so what we have developed at CORE is um, a good practices framework for um, repositories. And that is based on a global and international consensus around what are good practices for repositories. And we work with our regional partners to try to um, to work with them to um, advocate and promote those good practices at the institutional level. But of course, again, there will always be some regional differences because the context of those repositories is different in Europe. For example, in Europe, there's the um, European Commission um, policy. There is are a number of funders who um, are part of uh, Coalition S who have specific requirements for repositories. So um, those kind of things would be, you know, included in the European recommendations around good practices for repositories that may not be included at the global level because they're very specific to the European continent. We see repositories as be also being critical for bibliodiversity. Um, and bibliodiversity is about supporting um, uh, multilingualism for supporting local research priorities. So despite, we're, despite the fact that we're seeing um, a trend towards shared repository infrastructure, we still think that a very distributed network is important to support the different needs of different domains, different languages, different countries, and, and different research priorities. So we very much um, encourage um, countries to recognize the importance of repositories as critical research infrastructure and to ensure that they are funded appropriately so that we can really maximize our collective investment in, in research and science. Thank you, Kathleen, Pedro and Andreas for providing this overview on the repositories and how to make them findable, accessible, interoperable and reusable. In other words, fair. It was really useful to understand what is uh, open air provide and having insights and future steps of uh, the repositories infrastructures. Moreover, if uh, um, your institutions or your discipline is not represented in uh, our repositories or you don't like how it works, you can still use uh, another service uh, that is part of the Open Air Nexus catalog, which is called Zenodo. Zenodo is a catch-all repository that is powered by Open Air and it's offering uh, the possibility to establish a community and collect research outputs that uh, can be publications, software, datasets, and many others. Next uh, episode, we will speak more about the research data management and uh, training and legalities. So don't miss the future episode and see you soon. Bye. This is the Open Air Series podcast. You can find the links to whatever articles, services, and products we mentioned on our Open Air blog and stay connected with us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. If you found this podcast valuable, share it and invite your friends and colleagues. We love hearing from you, so please email us your comments, feedback, and suggestions for future guests. Thank you.